It's good to see all of you and uh, welcome you to this service today. It's good to be together on this Sunday. I want to thank Alexis Brooks, our staff parish chair, for her leadership, for her courage and compassion. And uh, thinking about her announcement, I've so enjoyed working with Joanne since I've been here. She's been so helpful to me and encouraged me and helped me to learn my way around and learn who you are and more about this great church. Well, we've got four more months to work together, and I'm going to enjoy that time, and we're going to pray that God will will put her in a, in a place where all of her gifts and graces can be used to the fullest, and uh, she'll find fulfillment there. So I'm grateful to, to Joanne, and grateful f- to all of you. I'm, I'm glad you're here today. And one more gratitude, the stole that I'm wearing today that some of you have remarked about. It's the first time I've worn it. Our Zoe project group that went to Kenya this past summer, earlier this summer, brought this back to me as a gift, and I'm so grateful for it and been waiting until we get back in robes after Labor Day so I could wear it, so I'm grateful to those folks who thought about me when they were so far away from here, and uh, again, it's good to see you and to be with you. We've been, for the last five weeks in traditional worship, maybe six weeks now, focused on the sixth chapter of John's gospel. I call it the bread of life chapter. That was the lectionary passage. We were in Mark and then we sort of broke stride a little bit and John had his say for five or six weeks, but we're back in Mark's gospel now and we'll be there probably until World Communion Sunday, first Sunday in October. Remarkable remarks from the marvelous mind of Mark is what I've called these sermons from Mark's gospel. And we're in Mark chapter 7. I'm going to begin reading with verse 1 and then some selected verses and I'll lead us through that. But I would ask you now to stand as you are able for the reading of the Holy Gospel beginning with Mark chapter 7 and verse 1. Now when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders, and they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. And there are also many other traditions that they observe, the washing of cups, pots, and bronze kettles. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? He said to them, Isaiah prophesies rightly about you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human traditions. And then verses 14 and 15. Then he called the crowd again and said to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile, but the things that come out are what defiles. And then picking up with verse 21. For it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come. Fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, folly. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. 
One of my favorite musicals for quite a while now has been Fiddler on the Roof, and one of my favorite songs from that musical is Tradition. Uh, I want so much to be able to sing it for you or to have one, someone sing it for me, but I'm going to spare you that. But here are the lyrics. We're, we're talking about tradition today, so uh, some of you may be familiar with these words. Tradition, tradition, tradition. And then Teve and the Papas are singing, Who day and night must scramble for a living, feed a wife and children, say his daily prayers, and who has the right as master of the house to have the final word at home? The Papa, the Papa. Tradition. Goldie and the Mama sing, Who must know the way to make a proper home, a quiet home, a kosher home? Who must raise the family and run the home so Papa's free to read the holy books? The Mama, the Mama. Tradition. And then the sons, the boys sing, at three I started Hebrew school, at ten I learned to trade. I hear they've picked a bride for me. I hope she's pretty. The son, the son, tradition. And then the daughters get their chance. And who does mama teach to mend and tend and fix, preparing me to marry whoever papa picks? The daughter of the daughter, tradition. Tradition, so important. Dictionary definition, the handing down of beliefs and customs by word or example without written instruction, a belief or a custom thus handed down, an inherited pattern of thoughts and actions. The gospel lesson for this day seems to revolve around this concept of tradition. When I was reading it and thinking about what to say, that's the word, that's the concept that kept sort of jumping out at me. In verse 3, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And in verse 4, and there are also many other traditions that they observe. And in verse 5, a question. Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders? And in verse 8, a verse that just may be the crux of this whole matter. In fact, I believe that it is. Jesus says, you abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. The passage for today begins when the Pharisees and some of the scribes, good old boys from the Jerusalem office gathered around Jesus. Local opponents and opposition were also there good old boys from the home office. And they are there to challenge the behavior of Jesus and his disciples. They don't like what they're seeing and hearing. Controversy stories ordinarily began with a challenge or a question. And the retort follows quickly, but both the question, the customs of purification, the reply are delayed in this episode. Indeed, instead, Jesus turns on his opponents with that remark about the tradition of the elders that sort of served as a warrant for their criticism while they were there. Now, Mark has just presented, if you look back in the gospel a little bit, Jesus as the true shepherd of Israel. His conflict with the Pharisees and Jerusalem scribes over the tradition of the elders can be viewed as a rejection of the false teachings of the one whom Je- the ones whom Jesus replaces, the false shepherds, the one whose credentials are suspect. As in an earlier controversy about fasting, and that's Mark 2.18, if you want to check back sometime, the initial question concerns matters that were typical of pious sects like 
the Pharisees. The implication of the questions is that if Jesus does not teach his disciples these proper rules and traditions and customs and beliefs, then he must not be any kind of religious or spiritual leader. He was suspect in their eyes. Dispute over such traditions divided different groups, divided different sects within Judaism, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and the others. The arguments in this section may have been formulated when the Jewish Christians had to defend their failure to observe such pious customs. And you remember some of that, some of that story in the book of Acts, when the Christians were faulted for not keeping all the Jewish observations. Mark and his readers are uninterested in the details of the Jewish legal debate at this point. The explanation Mark provides is an outsider's almost a sarcastic view of these customs and traditions. Both the Pharisees and the Essene legislation shows that their sects record that they had to eat food in a certain way. They had to wash their hands. Everything had to be by the rules. Everything had to be by the book. And folks who didn't go along, well, they just weren't part of the group, weren't part of the in crowd. They were, they were looked down on. Now, there were exceptions occasionally for some of the religious leaders that dealt with the washing of the food and washing of the hands when water was not available and someone was hungry, but not too many exceptions. The Pharisees and scribes are familiar enemies of Jesus. They seek to embarrass him in front of the crowd. That's just a poor way of doing things, isn't it? If you've got something against somebody, if you've got something to talk about, if you've got a criticism, Share it with somebody one-on-one or in a small group. To purposely embarrass somebody in front of a large group is just, it's a poor way to lead. It's a poor way to go about anything. And that's what they were trying to do, trying to undermine his authority. And Mark's account here of Jewish customs, stereotypical account, it said no sympathy with the issues being raised from Mark. Now, after delivering his diatribe against the Pharisees and the scribes, Jesus turns back to the crowd. And he said, listen to me, all of you, there's some here I need you to get, something that's basic here. I want you to understand this. There's nothing outside of a person that by going into the person will defile that person. But what defiles us, what brings us down, what destroys our spirit is what comes from within us and comes out. Those are the things that defile a person. Most of the Christian readers of Mark's gospel today habitually think of purification rites and kosher rules, all those many regulations as unenlightened Jewish legalism. So we set aside the prejudice in today's reading. The Israelite community needed to remember that the reason for a lot of these laws and regulations We always say, well, it was health concerns. That's why they had all those food laws in the Old Testament. And I think that's some of it. But also these laws were to distinguish these people, to set them apart as being different from the other nations, to remind others that they worship the Lord God of heaven and earth. And that's why they had all these regulations. So we don't need to be too harsh about that. Without that, perhaps the gods, little g gods, of the other nations would have been worshipped. 
and would have been thought to, to hold power, especially when Israel had those times when they were conquered and when they were under, under oppression. So don't be too harsh. Don't let me be too harsh on all these rules and regulations. There were reasons for some of them. The tendency that Jesus criticizes in the Pharisees and other religious groups appears in most groups. People holding on to human traditions, traditions they have developed, as if they were from above, as if they were divine traditions. We get those mixed up. We get so invested in the way we like to do things and the way we want to do things that we sometimes don't realize that's our way. That may not be God's way. We need to think through those things and pray through those things. Religious groups, include the church sometimes, can very easily sacrifice faith in order to hold on to human traditions that have come to mean so much to particular groups. And then the sayings on defilement challenge us to think about the real challenge posed by the gospel. It would in fact be much easier to perform any number of ritual specifications than it would be to allow the Spirit to transform our heart and change us into the people God's called us to be. There's a list in verse 21 and 22. Some obvious examples of external transgressions, things that would be considered on the outside, murder, theft, adultery, and then inner feelings, greed, and wickedness, and envy, and pride. And it's the inner feelings, the movements of our heart that give rise to these outward expressions that can be so harmful and so destructive. Tradition. Little t, or big t, or both. Little t traditions are developed by individuals, by families, by communities, by congregations sometimes. They are the things that they hold to be dear and things that they hold to be important. I'll mention some in a moment. Big T tradition, for the Christian faith anyway, has to do with Holy Scripture and the teaching of the apostles and the teaching of the saints of God across the centuries, across the ages. In United Methodism, we sometimes use a term we call the Wesleyan quadrilateral. And that's a way that we have to decide if a belief or a doctrine is something we should embrace or not. Scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. We work through all of those scriptures always first. Tradition, what is the larger tradition of the Christian faith say? Not just our local traditions. What is our experience? And then God gives us a mind to reason things out. Let's think about those for just a minute. Let's think about this big T tradition of the church. The story of the church reflects the most basic sense of, of that tradition. The continuing activity of God's spirit transforming human life. Tradition, big T, is the history of God's grace being played out in this world and in our hearts and in places around the globe. It continues the environment of grace in which all Christians are called to live. The big T tradition. And big T tradition always transcends our little T 
traditions. Tradition acts as a measure of validity and propriety for a community's faith. It represents a consensus of that faith. These traditions we need to measure, we need to think about. Are they from God? Are they what we followed and our ancestors in the faith have followed over the centuries? Or are they things that have slipped in along the way? And we examine such conflict in the light of Scripture always. It's by discerning the use of our standards and an openness to emerging forms of Christianity that we attempt to identify what it means to be faithful to the apostolic faith that we embrace. At the same time, we draw on the broader Christian tradition an expression of the divine grace in which Christians are able to know and to recognize and welcome one another in love. Now let's go back to some little T traditions for a moment. Let me identify some of those that come to my mind. You, I'm sure, can think of many others. Verse 8 in the gospel lesson may be the key. You command, you forget the commandment of God, you abandon that, Jesus said, and you embrace human tradition. Let me put it like this. Do our little T preferences sometimes overcome the big T of tradition? Or do our little t traditions enhance the tradition of who we are as God's people? Let me ask that. Also, are our little t's in harmony with the big t? In a family, it might play out like this. Maybe this has happened at your house or your family on a family level. Mom or dad or grandma or grandpa decides that they're going to change things up at Thanksgiving. Oh, my. And they do that without consulting the troops. No survey, no opinion polls. What do you mean we're having possum instead of turkey? Baked grits instead of dressing or stuffing? How dare you ignore the tradition? What's on the menu and what time we eat and how we sit around the table, those are little T traditions. We need to remember that this is a day of gratitude. Set aside to remember blessings to comprehensive for us to comprehend. That's the big T tradition, but sometimes we get caught up in in the little T traditions and it drives us crazy. On a local church level, one of my former appointments, we always did Holy Communion on first Sunday. We do here most of the time. Most United Methodist churches do. But we did it on the fifth Sunday one time. It seemed to work out better for the calendar and something else was going on first Sunday. And one of the saints in the church cornered me a couple of days later, and he said, we didn't have communion on first Sunday. We did it some other time. Is that okay? (laughs) I said, yes, sir, that's okay. I think we're going to be all right with that. When we do communion, and sometimes even the way, the style we do it is a little T tradition. The big T tradition is that Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And so the little T's sometimes just overwhelm the big stuff. One other thing I'll I'll lift up is meetings. Many traditional church meetings find ways to connect the business and busyness of the church with the big T tradition. The meeting actually enhances the why that we are here, to make disciples for the transformation of God's world. But sometimes there are other meetings... And you've been there, and I have a time or two. Charles Dickens, the novelist who gave us Tiny Tim and so many other 
wonderful works of literature and characters. He commented once about being in a gathering, he said, of divines. I think he was talking about pastors and priests and church leaders in an ecclesiastical, in a very church-like kind of setting. And he said the meeting extended itself for a long time, droning on and on and on at things that didn't matter a lot or subjects that people treated without much feeling, without much passion. And he had about all he could take. And he interrupted the proceedings, Mr. Dickens did. He said, I got an idea. Let's all gather around this round table over here and maybe light a candle and hold hands and see if we can make contact with the living. (laughs) You've been there. You've been there. I've, I've been there. Probably will be again sometime, but we need to think about little T traditions and what we get hung up on and what the church sometimes gets caught up with. I don't know if it's ever happened here, so I can use this example. We all know churches that fight over the color of the paint or the color of the carpet. How many folk in this world don't know Jesus and how many folks are hungry and how many folks are in need? And oh my, sometimes our little T's just overwhelm the big T that we're called to be here for. We've got to be careful about that, all of us do. Can you think of any other little tea traditions from your life story? Any excerpts from Life in the Church, Noonan First, United Methodist Church, or other places? In my time here, in my 15 months, I encountered many little tea traditions, and it seems to me that most of them enhance the big tea tradition, and that's good. But we need to examine all of those from time to time. Ask ourselves, why do we do that? Why has that become so important to us? And how does that impact our ability to go into all the world and make disciples? It's just something to to think about. Life in the church is an ongoing, everyday kind of process. And do all of our words and actions prayerfully consider whether or not what we're doing is enhancing the big T or moving away from it. It's easy to get sidetracked by the little T's. I understand that. I understand that in my own life and in the life of the church. It's easy to take a little T and elevate it to the status of a big T when really it's not there. Not that way. The gospel lesson for today, if we read back over it and pray about it and think about it, I believe can keep us on the straight and narrow and can prevent some of that. Many folk in Jesus' day, they'd gotten overly concerned with washing their hands, washing their pots and their pans and their bronze kettles inside and out. They were just so hung up on that. I think some of those folks would have been happy with life in 2018 when there's a bottle of hand sanitizer sitting on every flat surface. They may have been okay with that. And Jesus just flat told them, your little T's... (laughs) Or overwhelming the big T, quit fretting about what goes into your stomach, pay attention to what comes out of your hearts. How many folks do you see on newscasts day after day who've said something awful and hurtful and destructive, and when they try to explain it, well, that's not really who I am, I'm sorry, I did just, I was having a bad day. Well, I think what's in here is what comes out here, and we've got to be so careful about that. Wesley's three simple rules, number one, is first do no harm. Think about what comes out. It's not what's outside trying to get inside of us. It's what's inside of us that might slip out 
and harm others. Perhaps the most critically important thing we can do is to pray along with King David. We read part of that Psalm 51 as a response to freedom a while ago. That's the psalm that David wrote after he had been confronted by the prophet Nathan, after he had been involved with Bathsheba in inappropriate ways and had her husband sent to the front line where he would be killed. Somebody said David broke seven or eight of the Ten Commandments in that one incident. Yet, in the heart of Israel, David is still the beloved hero. And when Jesus rides into Jerusalem, they hail him as son of David. And he was repenting, and he was praying, and he was pouring his heart out. And this is maybe the most important prayer we can pray to clean up the inside. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within. Amen.